Tobes top five because ten is too many. Tobes top five because Nubs is too busy. Tobes top five. I don't know what he's up to, but he's clearly busy. So let's talk about some tunes, cause it's Tobes top five. I am so excited. I am so elated to um to talk about this. I, this is um I have kind of a little bit of a um not an a not an addictive but an obsessive personality in that especially when it comes to, you know, art genres or whatever when I get kind of into something especially if it's like short to medium term in its nature like I get like super into it like I want to know everything about it you know whether it's something to do with the movie or a tv show or uh like I kind of binge on everything especially when I kind of like learn about something new and especially when I learn about something new tied to music because you know you spend so much of your life being kind of so nerdy on these things. It's like every so often you kind of turn up a story or an accounting of something or a, some kind of documented thing that just gets you super hooked and interested. And this is one of those stories that it's sort of, it took a long time. And this is like within the last year that I've sort of uncovered this. And I I don't even know how. I think it was some YouTube thing that just sort of popped up. You know, you get those like music kind of documentary things that, you know, it's like kind of recommended for you. And and you know, you might like this. And and it was this um story of the KLF. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I yeah, okay. I'll check that out. And like I've been like hooked on this story ever since. Frankly, I mean, I think this is probably the greatest art project, modern modern musical art project in music history. I mean, this is it's absolutely fascinating. I've totally become obsessed with it, and I was thinking about, you know, is this an album episode? Is this? What's the best way to kind of present this? And I actually think Tove's Top 5 is decent because these guys' entire career kind of revolves around five songs. You know, and we'll get to it. I, I think the best way is to kind of chapter this out. And this will take a bit. This is probably going to be a little longer than the typical Tove's Top 5 episode because I really think the story of how these two guys did what they did is rather remarkable and very strange but also just fascinating so we'll skip the album worth mentioning just because you know we'll use up the whole episode to kind of go through this thing and the top five is i mean i'm still going to do a top five and put the songs in order but but honestly the 
the entire project here revolves around a handful of songs that came in different forms and in different iterations. So I'm going to kind of put this story into three different chapters because there's a lot to it. The first time I ever, I wouldn't say heard KLF music because it was enormous, you know, right around this time of early nineties. I mean, I was, this was like preteen years for me, but you know, the, the music was everywhere. You know, they, they were the highest selling um, singles act of 1991 and 1992 in the world, you know, so, so naturally, you know, you were pretty familiar with their music and hadn't really heard or thought about them for a long time. And then back about 15 years ago, we went on a golf trip it was with nubs and, you know, a buddy and some, some family and all that. And we went on a golf trip to Scotland and we sort of toured around the country and, and played all different golf courses. I mean, it was awesome. And part of what was really neat is that we had these two, um, well, one was the bus driver cause we had a group of dudes, you know, on the trip and, and the other was like a sort of guide that could, you know, take us around and help us, you know, with sightseeing and what, you know, whatever he was kind of like, you know, these two guys were kind of you know, in charge of us. They were both kind of younger dudes. The, the guide's name was Fergal and the bus driver's name was Brian, but Ian. And there was this incredible night where, you know, we got done with our golf and whatever, and nubs didn't make it, unfortunately, but I had a buddy with me on this trip and Brian and Fergal wanted to take us out really bad, you know, and of course we were game on. So everything started to wind down for the evening and, you know, we kind of said, all right, we're going to go out with, you know, these two, these two locals, these two Scotsmen. And they took us, we sort of went off the beaten path away from the town we were in. And they took us to like a really local bar, like a place that like people visiting wouldn't go to. And we just had the greatest time. These guys were nuts and they introduced us to all these locals. And, you know, these guys just thought it was hilarious that these two random Americans had found this, this pub that was not a tourist pub by any means. And, you know, it was just one of those great nights. But so anyway, during this night, you know, we were having a lot of conversations about Scottish culture and, you know, all these type of things. And they were they had questions about America and, you know, it was just this cool kind of you know, on their home turf, sort of talking about different, different elements. And we started talking about music. And I remember um, talking with this guy, Brian, who had like three teeth and you could hardly understand him half the time. And, but just the greatest guy, just total, total nut job. And, you know, we were tossing back a few and having just a fun time. And we started talking about really popular bands like in the U S and then popular bands in Scotland. So we were talking about like ACDC and Metallica, you know, kind of like rock and, you know, this type of stuff, just stuff that was kind of like popular, both here and there talking heads. I remember him mentioning and, and then like just completely out of nowhere, he was just like, Oh, and, and also the KLF. Yeah. The KLF. I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> the KLF? Like, you mean like the, like the jock jams group, you know, like the dance, the dance techno, whatever group. 
And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, they're from Scotland, you know? And, and I was like, Oh, were they? Like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, we went from all these like classic artists to, to the KLF and, and he was trying to explain to me that they were actually this, these insane guys who sort of made a joke of the industry and, and then burnt a bunch of money. I mean, I couldn't, these guys are really hard to understand these Scottish guys. Like, like the, <laughs> there was this one funny moment where, you know, you go golfing and you have these caddies, right? And these guys are just these local dudes who just caddy for you. And then they like, you know, go to the pub and then they like go to bed and then they get up and do the same thing. Just like these super simple guys. And these caddies are so hard. They're, they have this like local sort of accent, dialect, whatever. And they're so hard to impossible to understand, but it also makes it kind of funny. And there was one point where they were like, they're, they're always kind of chirping with each other, like during your round of golf. And they're like, you can tell they're sort of talking about you, but they, or your group, but they don't, you don't really know exactly what they're saying. So thankfully there was one round where I actually got a caddy who she was like this really cute, like 22 year old, like college girl in Aberdeen was the town we were in. And I was telling her like, all the caddies are so great. They're so funny. They're always, but they're, you're always like murmuring about you, like while you're on the tee box and whatever. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to know, like, I'm not sure if they're like making fun of us or if they're like, whatever. And she goes, Oh, I know exactly what they're doing. They're betting on you guys. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, they're they're like, what they do is they place like wagers on you guys. So, so during the year round, they're actually like placing like these little bets on who's going to get the best score or whatever. It's like super funny. Um, And apparently we played at St. Andrews uh, one of the days and I had shot my best round. I I shot an 80 and uh, apparently I made my caddy a lot of money that day. But anyway, so they're very hard to understand. And, and, and Brian was trying to like take me through at least high level, this like KLF thing. And I just was not, I was not tracking, but something got planted in my head. Like I knew that there was something more to this because, you know, he kind of like, I thought he just meant the music and I thought that was kind of funny and weird, but then he tried to sort of explain this whole thing and I mostly didn't get it. Fast forward to recently, you know, with this documentary that popped up on YouTube and everything and it's like, oh, okay, now I think I understand what Brian was trying to tell me, which was that these guys had this ridiculous path to commercial success. And then essentially like threw the whole thing in the garbage, like literally, like set it on fire, set their success on fire, literally. And we'll kind of go through it. So let's start just quickly with who these two guys are. Um, Bill Drummond, who is, uh, you know, a Scotsman. And then Jimmy Cordy, who's actually uh, English. These were sort of music industry guys. Bill Drummond was actually, he was uh, head of A&R for a pretty big label in the UK called WEA records. And, you know, he was kind of in, in the industry. He was, he was one of the sort of, you know, corporate guys for one of the labels. And he had this band, this is, you know, like 1985 ish. There was this band that he was really excited about. 
and he kind of put like almost all of his eggs into the basket of this band called Brilliant. You know, made a big investment in them, you know, got him in the studio. They recorded this like elaborate pop record and uh, and it failed, just completely failed, fell on its face. And he was like devastated. The guitar player for this band was this guy named Jimmy Cordy. So Bill and Jimmy sort of get together based on dual failure, if you will, of this pop group that recorded this one album. It was a flop and that was it. Both guys, particularly Bill, just became like super disenfranchised and disengaged with this industry. I mean, it was kind of like, you know what? Like, if we can't make something like that work, then, you know, what are we doing? What are we spinning our wheels for here? You know, and kind of almost had like a sort of breakdown and just sort of decided, like, screw it. Like, this is not the type of industry that we want to be a part of in, in this way. So they, you know, Bill basically hung it up, said, you know, I don't want to be in the, I don't want to be on the corporate side of the music business anymore. And I'm going to give it a go as an artist and basically paired with Jimmy and started a group that I think was fully intended to be a gigantic middle finger to the UK music industry, which was called the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo, otherwise known as the Jams. J-A-M, Justified Ancients of Moo Moo. Now, this is a tagline, a title that you will hear throughout all of this music. Um, so even when they became KLF, which would eventually happen. All their songs are really about the justified agents of Mooma, the jams, you know, which is, which is them. So this whole thing's just kind of silly from the get go. Now there's this whole story. There's this whole book that, you know, they lifted justified agents of Mooma from and whatever. I don't want to get into all that because who cares, but this was their first group. And let's, so that's kind of the preamble. Let's start with chapter one. Okay. Like I said, we'll, we'll explain this in three chapters. Chapter one is the jams and this is 1987 and what they decide they're going to do. They're going to basically be a project that lifts a bunch of music and sounds from existing artists. So sampling essentially. And this was not something outside of rap music that was being done a lot. But they were basically going to like make a sort of joke, you know, instead of coming up with original material, they're just going to sort of lift sounds from others and then, you know, put it into some kind of form with, you know, a beat or a hook or a whatever. And that was going to be how they did what they did. And they created, and they, they created their first album in 1987, which is called What the F*** is Going On by The Jams. Okay. Just to show the sort of level of, I mean, some would say arrogance and some would say audacity is that one of the first songs that they sampled and created their own version of is All You Need Is Love by a band called The Beatles. And then they they also had a track on this record called The Queen and I, which lifted uh, some elements from Dancing Queen by ABBA. Now, this one caused some problems. So this record kind of came out and, you know, I mean, it wasn't like huge or anything. It had a few, it got kind of some coverage from some of the like 
smaller, more niche uh, music trades, et cetera. And it got enough attention, though, to where ABBA actually heard this track and heard that this weird group of guys in Scotland are sampling their music without permission. And they decided to sue uh, Bill and Jimmy for, for this usage. So Bill and Jimmy, of course, and these guys, you know, they, this whole thing was a bit right. So they filmed themselves going to, I believe it was London in an attempt to have a meeting with ABBA to sort this whole thing out. Right. And they never quite got there, but what they decided to do to avoid legal problems, et cetera, is to destroy every copy that actually, at least that they had of this record and that that would take care of it. So basically create the record with a bunch of sampling that you didn't get permission for, get sued by ABBA, go to London to try and meet with them and you can't get a meeting with them. So you decide just to avoid the legal fees and trouble to just, you know, destroy every copy of the record. And that's what they did. So there you go. Uh, They put out a second record called who killed the jams. This one was a little bit more original, but you know, these songs were pretty abrasive. They they were, these guys weren't like, I mean, like Jimmy was a relatively decent musician, but these guys weren't out to like really create, at least at this stage, music that had really, uh, that could be accused of having a lot of talent. It was more to just sort of make noise and make statements and, and be kind of obnoxious. And even the second record who killed the jams, you know, sort of has that. So that's the justified ancients of Moo Moo two records. And it's kind of like, all right, like we've, I don't know, we've kind of like done, I think what we intended to do got a little bit of attention, but it's not like, anything. I mean, I think it was mission accomplished in terms of proving that they could do it, proving that they could make a little bit of a mockery of things. And, you know, they did so. All right. Let's go to chapter two. Chapter two of this story is around Doctor in the TARDIS, which is a song. Okay. So the jams like put out these two albums and they're kind of like, all right, whatever. Then, you know, they had racked up a bunch of expenses racked up some debt and they kind of decided that, you know, maybe they should try and make a single, uh, like a novelty single just to make some money. And they basically decided a few things. Number one, they wanted to do something with the doctor who theme because people in the UK apparently just can't get enough of the fricking doctor who theme. Right. The second is they wanted to pair the doctor who theme with the beat from rock and roll part two, which is called the glitter beat. You know, this before Gary Glitter like went to jail and stuff, you know, but this was the right backbeat for what they wanted to do. And they also decided they didn't want to be under the moniker anymore of the Justified Angels of Moo Moo, especially with this being kind of a novelty song. And they wanted to almost kind of use an alias so that nobody knew it was them. And they decided that the the front man, if you will, of this song was going to be a car, a, a Ford Time Lord. They called it. And this one song project was going to be called the Time Lords. So they create this song. They know they might have something interesting. They put it under the moniker of the Time Lords. And what they end up creating is a number one hit in the UK. And next thing you know, they're on top of the pops. And, you know, like this is like one of the biggest songs of the year. And uh, and let's give you a taste. This is uh, this is Doctor in the TARDIS. 
Okay, so you can hear the Doctor Who theme, right? And of course, you know, ever so uh, creatively and, and innovatively, they come up with the chorus of Doctor Who over and over again. Okay. Now, it, it's, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Okay, so, I mean, it's absurd, but apparently catchy as hell, hit at the right time, and this thing literally becomes a number one song in the UK, okay? So this thing, like, tops the charts. These guys go on top of the pops to perform it. They sort of disguise themselves so that, you know, people don't recognize them. Not that most people knew who the jams were, but, you know, they're trying to kind of keep this thing under wraps. and. Doctor and the TARDIS becomes this giant hit. So they decide to couple this with a book that they put out, which is called The Manual, How to Have a Number One the Easy Way. It's obviously a bit of a goof, but also it's like kind of legit. They're basically telling people how they created Doctor and the TARDIS and how you too can create a number one single yourself by you know, taking something existing and recognizable and putting it in this certain song structure and keeping it under three and a half minutes. And it, I mean, it's like this is basically this guide for how did it's like we did this. Here's how you can do this, too. I mean, it's hilarious. Actually, there was a band out of Switzerland. I, I mean, say band. there was a group out of Switzerland, uh, Edelweiss, who, who did a song called Bring Me Edelweiss. And they used the formula. They used the manual and they actually mentioning ABBA again, they used SOS and structured it the way the manual said and sort sort of executed it. And they hit number one in Switzerland with this like <laughs> goofy song doing it with SOS by ABBA and bring me Edelweiss. So you actually had a group out there that, that proved their theory correct, which just adds to the kind of absurdity and hilarity of the whole thing. So this thing just keeps getting, but hasn't even really gotten started yet musically so you know you got this stuff by the jams and then you've got doctor and the tardis and then you know these guys start to think you know maybe we should create some real music i mean one of the things that was up and coming was the club scene you know in the uk and in scotland and you know part of the thinking was we think we can create some of this sort of electronic uh, kind of trance rave stuff you know, this was right around the time that the rave scene was getting really hot, you know, ecstasy and all these things were kind of a part of the mix. And these guys were thinking, you know, maybe we should kind of go in that direction. And so they started kind of screwing around in the studio on that, which takes us to chapter three, the KLF. All right. So we talked about the jams. We talked about the Time Lords. And now we're going to talk about the KLF. Now, these are the same guys. Okay. so. You know, same two dudes. They now pivot themselves to, you know, calling their project the KLF. Now they said KLF doesn't mean anything. 
a lot of people think that it means the copyright liberation front where copyright is with a K seems like that's maybe legit. Cause I think it was mentioned in a book uh, that they had written, but either way, KLF is what they would now be known as. And obviously what the world would soon know them as. So these guys start kind of tinkering around with these club tracks, creating these sessions um, in their studio, which they call Transcentral. You know, they kind of start bringing in some DJ pals and, you know, they're, they're basically just sort of trying to create. And they actually record an album, uh, which is called Chill Out. It came out in 1990. It's kind of this weird ambient electronica piece with a lot of different sound effects and all this. I mean, it's, it's a little out there and, and, and nobody really cared that much about the album at the time. Certainly wasn't mainstream, but it has since become like acclaimed as like an ambient, like classic. It was like one of the albums that kind of like started this, this new genre of electronic music. So it's like considered by many now to be like this masterpiece, you know, which is funny because I don't think they thought they were making that. So chill out comes out and, you know, they put that out and whatever. And then what they decide is that they're going to put out five singles that are all going to be part of this trance sort of sound in series, right? Pure trance, they call it. And they're going to put out five singles every two weeks, I think is what they wanted to do. And that was going to be kind of their next wave of releases. Now they only got to three for a number of reasons and it's one, two and five or I don't know why it wasn't three. I guess the other three and four were the songs that like literally never made it off the shelf. So song one is what time is love song two is three am eternal and song technically number five, but, but the third track is last train to Transcentral. These three songs, they started off as these club tunes and they kind of tried to release these. They weren't really getting a lot of attention. And then there was one club, big club, I think in Italy that started actually playing one of their tracks and then it caught on. And that was what time is love. So this is, this is basically a snippet of the original. And this is in um, July of 1990. Okay. So this song starts to get some attention, starts to get some, you know, play in the clubs. And, and these guys, I mean, Bill joked that they had never been in a club like that. You know, I, I'm not sure that these were dudes that were like ravers, but they definitely wanted to create this kind of music. And what time is love? The the original here um, was one that started getting some attention in the clubs. The second track which came thereafter. So this is a few months later. And again, same thing kind of caught on in the clubs was 3am eternal. Okay. And what they said about this one is that this is kind of like the cool down song, you know, for when the club's kind of winding down. Right. Um, so 3M Eternal. All right. And then the third track, which came out, you know, just a couple of months after that 
was last trained to Trans Central. And again, same thing. This sort of grew within the clubs as sort of an instrumental, you know, kind of trance, you know, ambient type track. Okay, so these songs become club hits. But, you know, it's a pretty underground kind of scene, right? I mean, this is not something where, like, you're going to get radio airplay and you're going to get, like, commercial success and all that. These are, you know, these are songs that kind of served a purpose. Somewhere along the line, these guys took these three songs and basically said, we think we can, almost like we did with, Doctor and the TARDIS, we think there's a formula here to turn these songs into hits, almost like cover their own songs and remix them and restructure them. And so there's some reoccurring themes here. You've got rappers. So they tapped some, you know, rap guys from not like big name guys or anything, but just, you know, rappers from America or from the UK to kind of do these sections with rap, female voices, which uh, which was common at this time and and basically turned these club songs, these three club songs that they had created into hits. So let's go back to the first one, which is What Time Is Love. Now, this is the moment where you may start to kind of recognize some of this stuff. Okay, so they kind of hire these additional voices. They kind of remix the songs to be a little bit more poppy, a little bit more radio friendly. And remember, this is 1991, so this kind of music was was happening. Okay. Now you can hear right there, they're saying Moo Moo, you know, which is the justified ancients of Moo Moo, you know, which is what they named themselves previously. So, I mean, it's all, all this stuff kind of works together, right? Okay. So that version of what time is love makes it to number five uh, on the charts in the UK. Okay. So, you know, pretty good, right? The next track is the, the sort of new version now of 3M Eternal. This one hits number one in the UK, number five in the US, Billboard Hot 100, and number one on the the Hot Dance Play charts in the US. So, I mean, you're talking like global mainstream and even success in a, on the American charts, you know, with these tracks. Here's 3M Eternal. I bet a lot of people right now are like, oh, yeah, I know that. Right. So, you know, this hits big globally. And, you know, this is a reworking of the previous track. You can hear them sing Justified. You got the rapping, of course. Okay, so, you know, 3AM Eternal hits big. And then you've got the third track, The Last Train to Trend Central. 
Now this one, again, it's just crazy. This one hits number two in the UK. Uh, this one gets up to 17 in the US. Okay. So, you know, these songs are still doing pretty damn well here. Uh, last train to Trans Central. Here it is. So again, it's like, you know, and remember, remember, this is right before Nirvana. Okay. So everything happening here in the U.S. is like, there's a lot of R&B. There's a lot of boy band kind of stuff. And then there's a lot of this, you know, Technotronic and and, uh, Young MC. And I mean, this is, this was the kind of stuff that was going on. So the remixes of these three songs, you know, kind of hits the mark. And suddenly, I mean, KLF is experiencing tremendous commercial success with this stuff. Now, they're a little cheesy. They're a little goofy with the raps and the hooks and all that. But this is really catching on. These these guys, no matter how much of a joke this still is at this point, and it's debatable, you know, if these guys, how seriously these guys were taking it at this point. But they're experiencing tremendous commercial success, and they haven't even gotten to the peak of it yet, because there's still one more song to go. Now, you had Doctor and the TARDIS, which was a novelty tune. You had these three KLF tracks that you know were club hits, and then they remixed them into these sort of pop, you know, worldwide pop hits. Well, this last track was sort of their final recording, and it wasn't part of the club trio, and it wasn't going to be originally part of the five songs but it became certainly their most popular song and one that just absolutely blew up so this is justified and ancient this thing went like top five in over 30 countries it hit number one in the uk it hit number two in the u.s i mean you know this sold over two hundred thousand copies in the uk as a single i mean it's crazy. They were really fans of country music. In fact, there's a lot of steel pedal guitar on the chill out album. And there's a lot of that, you know, as sort of a, a musical and audible theme throughout a lot of their stuff. And so they had this kind of soft spot for American country. Well, they knew they needed a female voice for this song. And they, they said, well, let's get Tammy. Why You know, who sang stand by your man, which was a, huge hit worldwide and she sings in this song about standing by the jams and she's singing about moo moo land and i mean it's it's all part of this world they created and i don't think 95 percent of the people listening to the song even knew what the hell she was saying or cared because it was such a good catchy successful pop single So that's Tammy Wynette singing about the jams and how they got her to do this song. I mean, that's literally what she's singing about. Tennessee, Tennessee, stand by the jam. 
So instead of stand by the jam, instead of stand by your man, it's stand by the jams. I mean, these guys are nuts. Okay, so this song just blows up, and now you've got like four straight. Well, if you include Doctor and the Tardis, you've got five straight singles that are commercially enormous. I mean, in 1991, they were the top selling singles act in the world, all from this sort of tongue in cheek art project, comedy bit, whatever you want to call it, and kind of F you to the music industry. So now what? Here's the epilogue. Okay. After Justified Nature, I think that was kind of the last. I mean, these guys had a tendency of whenever something became remotely successful, they just instantly wanted to destroy it. And I don't know if that's like sort of their Nazi kind of artistic thing or, you know, or if that was all part of the grand plan or either way, Justified an Ancient Hit. And it was so, I mean, it's a perfectly executed pop single. It's composed well. It's produced well. You've got the Tammy Wynette voice. I mean, it was kind of like it was basically a perfect single. And for them, I think it was kind of the last straw that this had gone far enough. So later that year, what they did is at the Brit Awards, which is kind of the UK's version of the Grammys, they agreed to perform. And instead of coming out and performing, you know, one of their songs as, you know, as had become beloved by the charts and by the, you know, fans, they decided to come out with a local death metal band who is called Extreme Noise Terror. And they were going to do a death metal version of 3AM Eternal, which they did on the show. And then at the end, uh, Bill Drummond was going to pull out a fake machine gun with a bunch of blanks in it and shoot the crowd at the awards show. And then they were going to set off a bunch of fireworks and then they were going to make an announcement that said the KLF has now left the music industry. And that was going to be it. And it was, it was, this was their, okay, this has gone too far. We're, we're out uh, in, in a just obnoxious, loud, crazy way, appropriately. So at this, you know, event celebrating the music industry in Britain. And that was it. They never recorded again. <laughs> to top things off, six months later, they decided that they were going to film themselves going on a bit of a road trip and that they were going to take one million pounds sterling, which in 1992 was the equivalent of about $3.4 million today in US dollars. So think of this, that they're basically taking three and a half million dollars US and that they're going to set it on fire. And they did that. They took a bag full of money, a million pounds at the time, and burnt it. Now, some say it wasn't real. Some say it was a stunt. Most people say it was real. They say it was real. All the money they had generated from the KLF project, they just burnt it to a crisp. Now... I'm sorry, but what a fucking awesome story. <laughs> you know, I mean, what a way to cap off this project. 
Um, and from there, I mean, you didn't really, at least musically, you didn't really hear from these guys. They deleted their entire back catalog. And until two years ago, it was really hard to access their music. Now, two years ago, they decided that they were going to remaster and re-release under the moniker of KLF Communications, that they were going to re-release this music for streaming. So you can't purchase it. You can't buy it in a hard copy version. You can't like buy a CD or an album, but you can stream uh, these compilations that they've put together. They're called Solid State Logic. And then they came out with kind of the original version of the white room soundtrack which the white room is a whole nother story with these guys it was a film that they were out to do and you know whatever and then they kind of did a updated version of chill out the 1990 release so you can find their music part of my obsession has been to try and track down every single track they recorded and i think i've done it but that took a lot of discogs tracking down maxi cd singles and in this sort of thing. And then some of it is just only on 12 inch. Um, so in order to get it into a digital catalog of some kind, you, you know, basically have to like pull it off YouTube and some of the stuff that, you know, that of course I've done at this point, I think, you know, I've got it all now in the context of top five, it was really five songs in various forms that, and there are other tracks. I mean, they released a, a single called it's grim up North that did. Okay. They released a single called Kylie said to Jason that did. Okay. So, you know, I mean, these guys had other things, but their entire commercial career really revolved around these five songs. So what the hell I'll rank them. Why not? And if I had to, here's what I'd kind of go with. For number five, I would go with Doctor and the TARDIS, which is the Doctor Who song. Not that it's bad, but it's just kind of the goofiest of all of them. Number four, What Time is Love. Number three, Three M Eternal. Number two, Justified and Ancient. And I actually think what they did with Last Train to Transcentral, I think it's really, really cool. So again, a reminder, that's this one. I mean, musically, I actually think it's really pretty awesome. Um, like, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's kind of legit good. That That's the thing that's so interesting with these guys is that if this was just pure novelty, I don't think it would have gone anywhere, but the music is actually really good. <laughs> and even these remixes, like, you know, they're a little goofy and they definitely sound early nineties, but they, they've held up pretty well. And it was part of a really interesting time in music where it was kind of post hair metal and pre grunge. And it was this really odd time when, and I think especially in the UK, a lot of music was taking itself super seriously. And I think these guys hit a mark by coming out with stuff that was just sort of fun and light and intentionally commercial. And, you know, people responded. 
but there's so much to it. I hope that you're able to kind of like follow. You may have to listen to this episode a couple of times to sort of get it all down. But from these two sort of guys that were completely dejected with the music industry, forming this kind of insane duo called the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo, getting sued by ABBA, destroying all their albums, then creating a number one single, Doctor and the TARDIS, as the Time Lords, becoming, you know, basically a worldwide success in that regard, then trying your hand at club music and coming out with these like underground club hits that are now classics. They're trance music classics. And then kind of saying, well, let's remix our own original club hits and turn them into pop hits. And, you know, next thing you know, these guys are the biggest singles selling group in the world in 1991 crazy stuff and then you of course realize that you know you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish and you're going to throw the ultimate middle finger by burning all the money that you earned through the industry it's just it's just beautiful it's just amazing um i'm not really sure i know that bill and jimmy have done a few they don't do a lot of interviews and stuff i mean bill actually does some speaking gigs and whatnot where he talks about the music industry, et cetera. Um, I don't know that they talk a ton about the KLF. Most of the stuff that you see out there is a couple of interview segments where they did talk to the press a little bit following the project and in the midst of the project, but you know, not a lot, you know, these guys have kind of left, left this as an art piece to be sort of studied and interpreted by many. And I'll tell you what, I, I know that I'm not the only one who finds this fascinating, but boy, do I. And I uh, I wanted to put it in the context of Tove's Top 5 and maybe maybe teach you a little musical story that you weren't otherwise aware of, you know, because it's pretty insane. So go on YouTube, watch some of the other documentaries. You know, it really kind of brings it to life and takes you through the whole saga. It's one of those musical stories that I just think is so amazing and absurd and i wanted to share it with all of you right because that's you know it's what it's what i love to do all right thank you guys for indulging in uh my little fascination with these two crazy guys from the klf and we'll see you for the next episode which will be a little bit more of a normal tough top five we'll see you then